Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. kids and everybody in telling us about the fall of Jericho and now what we're going to do is briefly look at what Jericho was like, how Joshua executed the battle plan and how it applies to us in our situations today. Next slide please. Thanks Levi. So it's always important to understand the context of any story. So let's look at the background, first of all, of the Jericho story. So previously, as Sim mentioned, the Israelites had come out of slavery in Egypt. They'd been led out by Moses, and they'd been given the Ten Commandments by God in the desert and been told to cross over into the Promised Land. So that's my link to the garden theme there. So why was it called the Promised Land? Because God himself had promised it to Abraham many years before. And this land is super fertile, really, really fertile. And so the promised land, the name comes directly from God's intervention in human history. And this fertile land is referred to as flowing with milk and honey. And the only hitch was it was occupied already by particularly evil people. And that's why God was going to move them out because they were so evil, he decided they were going to be moved out and the Israelites who were following God's laws were going to be moved in. So 40 years earlier, the Israelites had completed a spying mission and they'd come back and they said, yep, it's all right, that land's super fertile. Yes, it's great, it's all you know, like flowing with milk and honey, uh, like God said. But unfortunately, the cities are all fortified and the inhabitants are really tall and strong. So at this point, they made a really dumb move. They decided not to trust God. Previously before that, they had been trusting God and obeying him. But now they decide not to trust God. And the result is they end up in the wilderness for 40 years Imagine being in a wilderness for 40 years. During that time, Moses dies out, and Joshua, they all die off. That whole generation dies off. Moses dies, and Joshua, a.k.a. Mark, um, becomes the new leader of Israel. And God takes the initiative, and he tells Joshua, okay, now we're going to move into the promised land. Now, Joshua leads the children of Israel across the Jordan River, which is very similar to when Moses led the children of Israel across the uh, Red Sea, and there was a miracle there. Again, there's with the River of Jordan, there's a miracle, and they cross over that, and they're ready to attack Jericho. But before this happens, two really interesting things occur. Number one, God tells Joshua to get all the males in Israel circumcised. And number two, Joshua meets the angel of the Lord, who tells him he's commander of the Lord's armies. So next slide, please. So here's a map of the world. The story of Jericho, as uh, Sim has said, is about a real place, and and Jericho is in Israel. So for those of you not quite sure, especially the kids, where it is, there's a map of the world, and you can see that Israel is above North Africa and below Europe. It's a really small country. It's about the size of Wales. (laughs) Which is a fabulous country, Judith. Um, Next slide, please. 
So Jericho is located about, well, you can see it's near to Jerusalem, has about 20,000 people living there, which is pretty similar to us. We have 17,000 people living in Romsey, so kind of similar to us today. But it's the oldest city in the world. It dates back about 10,000 years BC. And the story of Joshua occurs in the late Middle Bronze Age, which is about 1400 BC. Now, at that time, uh, Jericho was a major city. It was um, called the City of Palm Trees. It was an oasis city. It was a trading post, and it had been since Neolithic times. Next slide, please. So um, it was built on... Oh, no, we've gone, we've gone... Can we go back one, please? Oh, it's disappeared, the slide. Okay, so I did have a slide of Jericho as... Oh, there we go. Yep, as seen from the sky. So you can see here, as Sim said, it's about half a mile in circumference, about nine acres and 70 metres high. And Professor Garston and Dame uh, Kathleen Kenyon excavated Jericho in the 30s and then again in the 50s and 60s. And what they found is that ancient Jer uh, Jericho is so ancient, it's actually been rebuilt four times. And the walls originally dated back to 8000 BC, where they were built as flood defences. And they're the oldest city walls discovered by archaeologists anywhere in the world. So next slide, please. So you can see here, this is ancient Jericho. We don't know whether the Jericho, when Joshua went round, it had two walls or one wall. It, doesn't just, it just says the, you know, there were walls there. But we do know that with ancient Jericho, it had two massive walls. It also had a huge tower. And the outer wall was six foot thick, and the inner wall was 12 foot thick and higher than the first wall. And that's where houses were built into it. So next slide, please. So what happens before a battle or a conquest is really important. It often determines how the battle will go. And for us, before we prepare for any challenge or difficulty in life, that often determines how things will go. So what would happen for Joshua if he hadn't prepared for the battle? God had already told him, be really careful to do everything written in the book of the law, and then you will be successful. Now, the book of the law is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it contains all the laws the Jews were expected to follow that God had given them to, to them, including the Ten Commandments. Now, one of the laws that had been given to the Israelites was the law of circumcision. But this had actually been given to Abraham 600 years before the Ten Commandments were given. And the Israelites had completely abandoned this law of circumcising every newborn male. We don't know why, but they had. And God had told Joshua previously, be really careful to obey the law. Do everything that's written in it, and then you'll be successful. So if they had gone into battle without obeying the law, the chances are they wouldn't have conquered Jericho. And previously, the Israelites had done some dumb moves and gone into battles without God's blessing and direction, and the results had been disastrous. They'd lost big time. So it's really important that they get God's directions. But what's amazing here is that God takes the initiative to help them to obey. After they've miraculously crossed the Jordan River and they go up to Jericho, before they start marching around it, he tells Joshua, get all the men circumcised. So where they've abandoned following God's law... God intervenes and he reminds them. And directly after this, the angel of the Lord turns up. Now, this isn't just any angel. This is the angel of the Lord, who's thought by many to be a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. 
In the Bible, he often turns up very significantly at key moments. He turns up to, uh, with Abraham, with Moses in the burning bush, the angel of the Lord is there, with Balaam, with Gideon, with Manoah and his wife. And although he doesn't appear very often, when he does, it's at key moments and to give key messages. Next slide, please. So we know that the angel of the Lord was also in the pillar of fire by day and a pillar of cloud at night. No, the other way around, the pillar of cloud at day, pillar of fire by night, that led the people of Israel through the desert. Now, this is an artist's impression, but you can imagine it was pretty awe-inspiring, a massive pillar of fire, and that God said he was in this, and that the pillar of fire used to move and direct the Israelites where to go. Now, at this point, the angel of the Lord appears as a man to Joshua. And he says, Joshua sees him, and he says, are you for us or for our enemies? Like you kind of think he's hoping, I really hope you're going to say you're for us, you're on our side. But the angel of the Lord's reply is really interesting. He says, neither. I'm not on your side, Joshua. Neither. He says, I have come as commander of the army of the Lord... Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? So he's hoping he's going to give him a really spectacular message before he goes into battle. And what does the angel of the Lord say? Take off your sandals because the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I imagine that's not what Joshua was expecting the message to be. So the message for Joshua before he goes into battle is, God is holy. That's not what he's expecting. That's, that's not a kind of battle plan that he's thinking that he's going to be giving. But what God is telling Joshua is really important. He's saying, I'm not on your side. You need to get on my side. Get on my side. And my side involves holiness. So all this precedes before the children of Israel, the people of Israel, go up to Jericho. So next slide, please. So every battle needs a plan. And if you were planning to take Jericho with massive walls, you'd probably be thinking, okay, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What can I play to with my strengths? Um, How can I exploit the enemy's weaknesses? What resources do I have? What's my own mental and physical strength? That's how you'd normally do a battle plan. But God had already told Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. And God told him this before the battle started, so Joshua could be really sure that the battle is going to go well. But if you were Joshua, presumably your plan would have involved not dynamites him, but siege ramps. It would have needed something to get over those walls. And God's plan, walking around the walls, let's face it, is not much of a plan from a human perspective. But we've seen behind the scenes, we know that the angel of the Lord has gone ahead and he's the commander of the Lord's army. So we know that the Lord's angel armies are going there as well. And he's going to be doing the fighting, although he hasn't told Joshua how it's going to happen. Nevertheless, God still tells Joshua, go with your armed men in front and behind and in the middle of the seven priests, which speaks of perfection, that number seven, carrying the Ark of the Covenant and inside the law of God telling us about the holiness of God. And that's what they're using as their battle plan. So how does this apply today? Next slide, please. 
The Bible tells us in Romans 15, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So we need to see what principles apply in the Jericho narrative and see them in our own challenges. So God's giving us keys to overcome difficult situations. And that's really good news because we need them. So I see in the story three keys. Holiness, knowing God's strategy, and obedience. Holiness, knowing God's strategy, and obeying it. So the first key, holiness. Can I just gently say, if you're persistently and consistently disobeying God in some area of your life, and he's nudging you about it, and you're ignoring him, you're going to find it very hard to have victory in other areas of your life. For the Israelites, they needed to get circumcised. For us, we need to make sure we're living godly lives. We need to make sure that we're living holy lives. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey my commands. That's what he said. And God had said in the book of Leviticus, be holy because I'm holy. So what does that mean, to be holy? Well, holiness just means being set apart. The Israelites weren't supposed to be all the same as all the other nations around them. They were supposed to be different. And they're supposed to be like God, who's full of holiness and purity. So holiness just means to be set apart from ordinary things. And God's laws are about living a life that's pure. So that means for us, not filling our minds with dark things, with sexual things, with perverse things, We need to be careful what we watch, what we read, what we listen to, what we think about. Would God agree with what we're watching, reading, and thinking? Is it clean? Is it good? Philippians 4.8 tells us to think about things that are good, pure, holy, excellent, and praiseworthy. No wonder we've got so much problem with mental ill health in the world today when people are filling their minds with all sorts of rubbish and evil stuff, and then they wonder why they struggle with anxiety. If we're filling our minds with things that are good, excellent, godly, that's going to bring us health to our minds. And in the book of the law in Micah, it says, what does the law require of you? To act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Do we show mercy and forgiveness in our friendships with our work colleagues to one another? Are we humble Or are we pushing our agenda forward, our own plans forward? Next slide, please. In 1 Peter 2, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. That is us, folks. We are a royal priesthood. That's who God calls us to be. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we're getting onto God's side. That's what we're doing. We're moving onto God's side of holiness. So here's a challenge. How different is your life, is my life, from our non-Christian friends and family? Is it any different? What is it about our lives that makes us different? Because God wants us to be a bit different. He wants us to model purity, holiness, hope and encouragement. Now, because Joshua obeyed the Lord directly after that, directly after that, the angel of the Lord turns up to fight for him. And remember, the angel of the Lord said he wasn't on Joshua's side or his enemy's side. 
he was on God's side. And this applies to us. We have to get on God's side if we want to see victories in the challenge that face us. So are you getting on God's side? Are you trying to persuade God to get on your side? Because I can tell you it won't work. You need, I need to get on God's side, to make a decision to move on to God's side. So the second key, knowing God's strategy. Joshua and his men didn't have to build siege ramps, knock down walls. It seems like God's army did this. And likewise, God will have a strategy in our situations, in the difficulties we have. You could have difficulties in your finances, your health, your marriage, your work, your family. If you bring these to God, he will show you a way forward. For example, it could be you're in a very difficult situation with a person. They may be making life really difficult for you. And what does God ask you to do? Forgive that person. This is really challenging, especially if this is an ongoing situation for you. And to forgive can seem impossible. But the great thing is Jesus has already told us how to do this. He says, pray for those that persecute you. If you start to do this and obey God's law of love, you will find amazingly God starts to change your heart. And gradually you are able to start to forgive that person little by little. It's not easy, but I can tell you from experience, it works. And here's the miracle. When you start to obey God, he starts to fight for you. Do you want to fight for yourself or do you want God to fight for you? In our challenges, we need to know what God's strategy is. And it may be that you have to resist something evil or fight for something good. And it has been said, evil triumphs when good men do nothing. Now, we may need to specifically fight against evil in a situation. And I find for my own life this is really helpful. Pray like everything depends on God. And work like everything depends on you. So it's a bit of both, isn't it? Asking for God's help and working hard yourself. But sometimes the challenge is so overwhelming, or for a specific reason, we are powerless to act. And we just don't know what to do. In these situations, God can show up really powerfully. Next slide, please. In Exodus, when the, the people of Israel had left Egypt and they were going into the desert, and they were coming up to the Red Sea, Pharaoh changed his mind and decided he wanted the people of Israel back as slaves. So out came the armies of Pharaoh, bearing down on the Israelites. They're pinned in between the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh. And Moses sought the Lord and the Lord said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be calm and stay still. That's very hard to do when you're in a very pressurized situation. Sometimes that is the right thing to do. I can testify from my own professional life, I've seen God do this. I was once a complaints officer many years ago for a, a group of hospitals, and I had a very powerful consultant who came up against me because he wanted to cover up a complaint. It was really difficult. He lied about me. He um, tried to get me sacked. He tried to discredit me amongst other health professionals. It was very difficult. And I cried out to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, rescue me. I can't solve this very serious complaint. And this is a really awful situation. And there's nothing I can do. And the Lord said to me, pray for him. 
So I did. I prayed for this consultant, and I trusted God. And the Lord turned the situation around amazingly. He did things I could never have imagined, and I was completely vindicated. Next slide, please. So obedience. Um, Joshua obeyed exactly what God said to do, exactly how he told him to attack Jericho. And James 1.5 tells us to ask for wisdom. Pray about your challenging situation with people who are wise and people you'll trust. If God gives you a strategy, it may not make sense from a logical perspective like Joshua's didn't. But if it will always, always, always agree with the principles of the Bible. And when God speaks to us, it's often like a nudge to our heart. He nudges us and he says, call that person. Text that person, see if they're okay. Apply for that job. Do that course. It's often just a nudge to our heart. But if we are willing to take a risk and obey God, we will see amazing things happen. In fact, we will never see amazing victories if we aren't willing to take a risk. And when God asks us to trust him and step out in faith in an area, let's do it. It takes guts to follow God. It takes guts to, to move forward in a risk. But if you will do this, you will see incredible things that God can do. I can guarantee you God is faithful. Um, can the band come up, please? So let's, in closing, let's remember that no matter how difficult, how challenging, how hopeless a situation is, is never as bad as Joshua going up to the walls of Jericho. It can't, our situations can't be bigger than that, than people being wiped out and killed. He couldn't have done this, but when he trusted God, when he listened to the three things, holiness, obeying God, what's God's strategy, and he obeyed it, he saw an amazing victory. And we can have the same thing in our lives. And maybe you have a particular challenge in your family or marriage, in your work or your finances or health, and you have no idea how to solve it. In fact, it could be the situation is bleak or even hopeless. God has a plan for you. Remember, Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. All things. That means your situation. I can guarantee you, if you're willing to trust God, obey God and take a risk, he will help you in your situation. What a promise that we have got the God who has the angel armies and if we step onto his side, he can help us in our situations. So if you would like to get prayer afterwards from the prayer team, they'll be here for support. But just go into this week and remember that's what God is asking us to do, to live a holy life, to listen to his voice for our situations and to obey him. And that's why, so we can have victory in our life. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.